Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hey friends, today's show is going to be an interview with Victoria Albina. I'll give you her intro in a little bit here. Um, she's a pretty cool chick. We we kind of clicked right out of the gate. I think part of it is because we're both East Coast kids. She's from Rhode Island. I'm from Mass in New Hampshire. I say that just because my um, mom's side and my dad's side both from Massachusetts. That's where I was born. We didn't move to New Hampshire until I was maybe in second grade. But we spent all of our summers in New Hampshire uh, at Hampton Beach. And if you're not local and you're like, oh, Hampton Beach, that sounds sexy and glamorous, kind of like the Hamptons in New York. No, no, it's not. It's a very different vibe, Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. <laughs> but I love it just the same. Anyway, we're, we're New England. I feel like New England people you know, like ride or die together. So we connected over that. We also connected over the fact that we're practitioners with um, a really multifaceted background. Let's say that. Um, She works in the functional medicine space as well. Uh, She also does some things with nutrition and she does, she just does a lot of different things. And I I always resonate with, with that type of approach because I feel like you know, if you've, if you've dealt with your own long-term health struggles, you realize that it truly does take a multifaceted approach to kind of get well. And, and then on the, the other side of that, working in clinic, you know, for the past 10 years working with people, I see that play out in everybody else too that I work with. So I thought it was pretty cool. And honestly, that in and of itself is one of the reasons that I created the Functional Nutrition Academy, uh, which is my 12-month practitioner training program. It's to bring this multifaceted approach to more people. Um, one thing that I want to say is that functional medicine isn't going anywhere. It is providing solutions to folks who feel hopeless, who feel like they're not getting any answers, who feel like they have all of these symptoms, but they're sort of mystery symptoms, right? And this is not a knock or a dig at conventional medicine. It's just saying that we need both. We need both. We need different approaches to different things. And one is not better than the other. It's just we need to make space for the and also, right? And that's how we get people better is saying, okay, I'm going to try this approach. If that doesn't work, I'm not going to gaslight somebody into believing that it's their fault, they're broken, something's wrong with them. I'm going to say, okay, let's be open to trying a different approach. And I feel like that's where functional medicine can swoop in. So 
For those of you who listen to the show that are nutrition professionals who have been interested in getting into functional nutrition, functional medicine, I have to tell you, it's a smart play. This isn't going anywhere. It's job security. More and more and more people are getting sick with less answers that are going on in this space that might be giving this space uh, a bad name. So I'll be discussing that in that webinar. So um, again, links are all in the show notes so you can check out more information there, but I would love to see you on that live, that live stream. And then finally, I got to shout out the show sponsors, Organifi. Um, We are in week four of the Carb Compatibility Project, and lots of folks have been utilizing the Organifi powders. Here's why. Um, We... One of the things that we do in the CCP, if you like smoothies, if you don't like smoothies, you don't have to do this, but we do higher fat, lower sugar smoothies in the morning as a way to just get in all of the things, all of the fibers, all of the variety to help feed the good bacteria in our guts without dysregulating blood sugar because sometimes fruit smoothies can do that. If somebody has a blood sugar issue, then just like dumping a bunch of fruit into a smoothie isn't always the best option. I'm not saying this to like make people afraid of fruit or to say that fruit is bad. So, you know, miss me with that. That is not what I'm saying. However, if somebody does struggle with regulating blood sugar, it's not always the best bet. So I like higher fat, um, higher fiber, lower sugar smoothies to start the day. And we can dump in a ton of stuff like avocados and cauliflower and even like frozen broccoli and beets and I'm trying to think like lots of greens. Um, But without the the fruit, it kind of tastes like a swamp, which isn't, you know, the most desirable breakfast. So I love utilizing Organifi powders because they are sweet and they're sweetened with monk fruit and it kind of masks the flavor of all of the other things that you throw in there. So I have been utilizing them. Uh, Lately, I've been utilizing the gold powder. So I do avocado, I do spinach, I do coconut milk, hemp seeds, flax seeds, maybe a little bit of protein powder. I use the Organifi protein powder and then the Organifi gold powder. And I add extra cinnamon and some sea salt. Oh my God, it's so good. It's like my favorite, favorite, favorite smoothie to start the day. So you can try that out. Make sure you use code FUNK so you save 20% off on every order you ever place with Organifi at Organifi.com. Again, all that will be linked up for you in the show notes. And without much further ado, here is our interview. Hey friends, we're back. It's a new show. Um, And today I have Victoria Albina on, so I want to give her a brief intro before I pass the mic and let her tell you about herself. So kind of a jackie of all trades. I mean, a lot of education behind <laughs> behind you. So she's a family nurse practitioner with a master's degree in public health from BU, uh, Boston University, the School of Public Health, and has a BA in Latin American Studies from Oberlin College. She's also a certified life coach, a breathwork meditation guide, and I, we have to talk about breathwork because I'm, I love breathwork so much. Um, and her entire passion is helping women realize that they're their own best healers, um, which is so important. 
and helps women break free from codependency, perfectionism, and people-pleasing. So I would love to talk about all of that today as well. So Victoria, welcome to the show. I know you have your own podcast. Can you just shout yourself out there a little bit right out of the gate? Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much for having me here, Erin. I'm absolutely delighted. Um, Yeah, so my podcast is called Feminist Wellness. It's a free weekly show all about finding your self-worth and taking your life back, to put it very shortly. (laughs) You're also from New England, correct? Absolutely. Wicked from New England, kid. (laughs) (laughs) I know we used to go to your great state of New Hampshire on the weekends to buy alcohol because Rhode Island was a blue state when I was a kid. Oh, live free or die. Drink until you die, pretty much. Absolutely. It's great. Oh, what a great motto. Can I get that on a (laughs) t-shirt? We have them somewhere. I'm sure you do. Um, So there's so many, because of your extensive background, there's so many different ways that we could take this conversation today. I think because of the timing, um, we're recording pretty close to air date. I think focusing on the nervous system is going to be huge because there's a lot of jacked up nervous systems right now. And certainly we've talked about on the show a lot, uh, that there's really no divide between the mind and the body. And so for those of us with chronic conditions, I think we can be experiencing like a, an uptick uh, of symptoms that they might be a little bit heightened right now. So I'd love to get into some of that today, like why this 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 vigilant state, you know, I keep seeing that everywhere, like stay vigilant people. Like for those of us who are already kind of like in the hypervigilant zone, like why that's maybe not the best thing and how do we maybe uh, talk ourselves down a little bit. So any type of nervous system downregulation discussion is open for, you know, is like super open over here. So where do you even want to start? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love to start by nerding out. Yes. Because I am, as you read, uh, or as you shared, a wicked nerd. Um, So let's start with a polyvagal 101 and take it from there. Perfect. So, um, Our peripheral nervous system has these two beautiful branches, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. Sympathetic is fight or flight, Um, adrenaline, norepinephrine, eventually cortisol. Your body believes that a lion is coming rapidly (laughs) to eat your face and that of everyone you've ever loved, right? The village is about to be destroyed. And so that's what our bodies believe is happening in fight or flight. But these days, you know, it's a text from your ex, your mom calls. Oh, I don't know. There's a coup attempt, right? Like during a pandemic, for example, just casually, right? Basic Uh, stuff. Right. (laughs) Um, So um, your body reads those signals as they are interpreted by your mind, right? It's a lot of this is about our perception of what is dangerous, what is takes us out of safety and activates that system. So that's fight or flight. Um, when we are in fight or flight, our bodies don't work the way we want them to. And so note, I'm not saying your body doesn't work right. I'm saying it doesn't work the way you want it to. There's a, there's a, there's a subtlety there that's very important. And so in fight or flight, cognition, your thinkering is slowed down um, because you want it to be, right? Like, I don't want my brain to be making complex decisions while I'm trying to escape a lion, right? 
<laughs> like, please don't start thinking about, you know, I don't know, French Renaissance literature while <laughs> like we're trying to run, like just shut up and run. Um, but everything downstream effectively gets slowed or stopped. Thyroid function, um, heart, lung get impacted. Movement of the diaphragm is impacted. Digestion slows. The migrating motor complex in the small intestine, which is the thing that takes the food you just ate and moves it down the path for further digestion and detoxification slows down. Um, that is one of the cornerstones of why stress and things like irritable bowel syndrome are deeply linked. Um, all sorts of digestive issues, small intestine, bacterial overgrowth, etc. And then, yeah, everything downstream just halts. The other branch uh, is parasympathetic. Within that, there are two branches. And I, of course, want to call out polyvagal theory is based on the work of Dr. Stephen Porges, PhD, and is turned into English by us, an amazing social worker, Deb Dana. So if folks want to nerd out on that, unless you're a super nerd, I would skip Porges and I would go right to Deb Dana. She turns it into English, which is very polite of her. Uh, <laughs> of course. Thank you for that. Thank Deb. You. Thanks, Deb. Of course, it was a woman who was like, yo, this is not cool. <laughs> Humans need this, not just nerds. Um, anyway, so they're in parasympathetic. Um, the first is... Um, the ventral vagal system and ventral means the front body. So that's us seeing the world, uh, but like literally through the optic nerve um, and scanning for danger, scanning for safety, right? We're listening, our ears are part of this system and we're listening to the person talking to us for something called prosody of voice. So if you, you know, uh, a new parent holding their newborn everywhere across the planet and I've been at births across the planet pretty much says the same thing to a newborn which is oh do, 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 to paraphrase but <laughs> right and that prosody of voice signals safety right versus a raised voice a monotone someone being sharp with you and so your nervous system says oh okay we're cool here that is our body's first place to go as humans we are interconnected animals. We want to co-regulate, which means to set our nervous system safety meter to the safety meter of the person uh, or other being that we are with. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So if you think about a moment where you could potentially be in danger, so for example, in a mugging, right? The first thing a human is going to do is to be like, oh, cool, dude. Oh, yeah, you have a gun. Cool, cool, cool. Here's my wallet. Here's my phone. Like, just take it. Do you want my wedding ring? Just like, take it. We're cool, right? You're not going to hurt me, right? 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 So we try to make that social connection as a way to find safety. When we are in ventral vagal, our bodily systems are optimized. Connect, con boop, boop, boop. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, editor. Um, restarting. Um, our cognition is optimized, meaning we think well, um, and everything going down from, from the neck down, right? Thyroid, digestion, reproductive function, everything is optimized. The third function is dorsal, which dorsal simply means the back of the body. And I remember this by thinking, if you've tried the front body, ventral smiling, hey, we're cool, and that doesn't work, then from the front body, you punch or run, go to sympathetic. And if that doesn't work, your back is against the wall of the cave. 
dorsal, the door of the cave. I love a mnemonic. Um, <laughs> it got me through all those 2,000 years of school. Um, and so in dorsal, you, your body, your mind body, recognizes that there's no other option. You, you can't like connect your way out of this. You can't run or punch your way out of this. And so we're in a collapsed, immobilized state, like a possum playing possum or a deer in the headlights. And in this state as well, everything is slowed. And what this looks like in humans is cool dude, whatever. Fine. Yeah, we'll do it your way. That's okay. No, you're right. You, you, you do enough around the house. I'll stop asking. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, like it's that, like, I can't anymore. I just, I can't. Mm -hmm. Right. And so from there, the ability to connect and to mobilize ourselves, our motivation, our get up and go is severely limited. We are like, we're stuck, right? We're stuck, we're immobilized, we're frozen. Do some people have like lean, lean one way or another or like have a tendency towards one way or another or, or not necessarily? Yeah, so as mammals, we're born with, with the dial set firmly to ventral vagal. We are always going to go there first. Um, but if you think about babies, you know, the slightest irritation, they'll get a little sympathetic, which will help them to do the things that help them survive, mostly scream as loud as possible to get their needs met. And what happens is if our needs aren't met, um, our bo that sort of dial gets reset and we start to expect that the world won't meet us or that the world will constantly be a fight right? We'll still have that driver inside to try to connect first, but it sort of gets attenuated. It gets dampened by what we experience, particularly ages zero to three, right? Which is when our nervous system gets that initial wiring and that wiring takes hold. So yes, in answer to your question, uh, yes, we have, we come preset to connect, but if that just doesn't work and doesn't work and doesn't work, our bodies and minds and children's child selves are so brilliant that we will figure out other survival strategies, remembering that survival is the name of the game when we're talking nervous system and we're talking regulation. I've noticed something kind of interesting, and I would love for you to speak to this or it, it, let me know if you've seen something similar. We're all sort of pretty much living through a collective trauma, unprecedented times being the name of the game for the past almost year at this point. And I've been observing how different people respond to the situation. I, I've noticed myself, I definitely tend to go into overdrive and I've kind of stayed clicked into overdrive for almost a year. Um, whereas I see other folks kind of just throw in the towel and, become almost more apathetic and is there have you seen that and is there some explanation for that is it is it based on this hard wiring that happened in early childhood well i want to caution us not to think of it as hard wiring because it is plastic right we have mm -hmm. neuroplasticity we can shift these stories we can shift our response to whatever external stimuli comes into our world it takes it takes work right but we can do it um so yeah i think people respond from their neurological grooves from what their brain is brain and mind body are habituated to go to so 
people will respond how they are habituated to respond, which makes perfect sense, right? The whatever survival strategy has gotten you this far, whether it is to go into that dorsal shutdown of like, you know what, I just can't with this. Or if it's to be the person who's really um, PO'd, who's like, I can't believe this. This is ridiculous. This, you know, the system's not broken. It was built like the right to get worked up and worked up and worked up. If that has worked for you previously and worked for you is interesting, right? Because it doesn't mean that it serves you, that it actually moves your life forward, but it means that that response kept your tender underbelly from showing, if that makes sense, right? Like it was self-protective in some way, meaning generally that it kept you from feeling feelings that would overwhelm your mind, body, nervous system. I think that's so important to drive home. And I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think it's really relevant to listeners. And it's something that I, I, I would love to talk about because I think we do this so much with our health. And um, when you're talking about neuroplasticity, one of the things that I've really had to work on is this health hypervigilance. Mm. Um, I call it my health anxiety because mm-hmm. I've struggled so much with health issues in the past and kind of like your classic tale of like the woman that was not listened to, not validated, was made to believe I was crazy, was called the hypochondriac, the whole nine yards, right? Mm-hmm when there was actually something physically wrong. Um, and so I'm really like kind of keyed up like every time, you know, like my knee hurts. I'm like, here it is. This is the end. Let's figure, you know, like this is the big one. Let's figure out every possible worst case scenario and prepare for that because I have to be the watch guard because nobody else can do that job for me. And I see this play out with so many of my clients, but what I had to understand is that that served me. At one point, that actually served me. It is no longer a strategy that I need. Like I have to self-source my own safety, but there was a point in time where that served me. And so I just got locked into this pattern of, of doing that. And I really want to call out to anyone listening that that it's okay and that we can change. Um, And I also want to call out to anyone listening who might know people like this because I received a DM last week that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, I was sharing a a slide from my practitioner training program where I was talking about this hypervigilance and um, the term hypochondriac and medical gaslighting. And um, a, a woman DM'd me and said, yeah, and then there's people like my husband who thinks every time they have a headache, it's like meningitis or something really wrong. And I have to tell that uh, tell their his nurses not to talk to him about his health because then crazy town ensues. Whoa. Yeah. I was wow. like, Aaron, take a beat before you lose your shit. <laughs> and I was like... Damn. And I like all part of me was like, imagine if my husband was out there like talking to internet strangers this way about me, how mortifying, how devastating. But also I I, like regrouped and I was like, hey, there's like actually a reason that your husband is like this, you know, like it's not crazy and please don't ever, you know, utilize that term in my DMs ever again. Right. Um, As somebody who's been called crazy for, you know, being concerned about my health Mm. anyway, but I see this so much play out with chronic conditions. So can you speak to that? Do you see that? I mean, you must. Can you speak to that a little bit? Um, Help people understand that there's a reason for it and there's also a path away from that. Right. Well, I think, you know, 
thinking about this woman all up in your DMs, I think both for her and for her husband and for you and me, because I also spent a lifetime very sick and medically gaslit and like told to that exactly that I was crazy. It was all in my head. I had blastocystis hominis parasite growing in my gut, but thank you very much, (laughs) medical establishment. Um, I think the real thing that is coming to me so powerfully is the power of acceptance. So acceptance doesn't mean condoning. Acceptance doesn't mean not taking action. I think acceptance is the first step to being able to take aligned action. And when our one has a knee pain and then the brain goes right to like the most horrifying potential outcome, what we're doing is creating extra suffering by not accepting that something is happening. Does that make sense? Like we think we are accepting, okay, my knee hurts. Knees hurt. I walk. I go upstairs. I did that, you know, gym class, whatever. Sometimes knees hurt and sometimes it's transitory. And yeah, sometimes it's Lyme. Like sometimes it is a, is a big thing, but sometimes it's not. So if we start from, I accept that this is happening We can bring in a different level of peace that can then allow us to be the watcher of it versus the panicker about it. Because I think when we go and fall down the WebMD rabbit hole and like text all our friends who are functional medicine providers and right, when we do that, we are actually not an acceptance of our own mortality, our own fallibility as mammals. And we're not an acceptance of like, okay, my knee hurts. In this moment, that's what is, right? Or my digestion is doing whatever it's doing. Instead, we're fighting against that reality by getting hyper-cognitive about it versus a somatic approach, soma meaning the body, right? And, And touching in to ask ourselves, what's going on here, right? Like, what is my body trying to tell me? What do I need? Is this my body asking for rest? Is this, um, do I need some more self-love in some way? Or do I need just to like chill on it? And I don't say that in any kind of like derogatory, like just chill. Like again, I was incredibly sick for like 30 years till I got a medical degree and figured it out myself. But like, I know I would get diarrhea once and I'd be like, (gasps) the bugs are back. Yes. Yeah. Right? (laughs) And like... When you've been through what you and I and most of your listeners, I'm assuming, have been through, that is understandable. And allowing the brain to continue to go to there doesn't serve us. So to go back to neuroplasticity, the old saying, what fires together, wires together. So every time you reinforce the story within your own mind and body, this one event that I do not like, the knee pain, the diarrhea, the second day of constipation, whatever it is in your physiology, when you tell the story, this is a problem, this is wrong, this is bad, this is worrisome, I'm going to die cold and alone on a mountaintop, you are reifying or strengthening that story within that neural groove in your own mind, which is why thought work, mindset work, combined with somatic work is so vital for our healing on all levels. 
because this kind of healthcare anxiety is something, I, mean, I practice functional medicine. And so by the time you're getting to a functional medicine provider, there's, a, right? Like, yeah. right, you are in full distrust of all the systems and likely in distrust of your own body as well because you've been told so often what you're feeling isn't real. And so starting from there, I accept that this is real, this is happening. And right now at this first moment of it, that's gonna be my focus, right? Is supporting and validating myself and allowing and trusting that my body is in process. And I'm going to monitor this with a loving, gentle eye before allowing my mind and body to go into that sympathetic activation, which is the like 3 a.m. Google search, right? <laughs> yeah. And you had mentioned like, you know, we have the, like, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like we have these human bodies and sometimes knees hurt, right? I always think about it when I start to feel myself in a spiral. I'm like, how would my husband handle this? Because if my husband had you know, mm. gas or stomach pain. He's like, oh, I have gas. I have stomach pain. I'm 44. Shit happens. Whereas me, it like has to have so much more meaning. Right. Like, what does it mean? Like, you know, like, you know, here's the cookie crumbs. Got to follow the trail. Like, you know, it's like right. usually it's just, it's right. just a tiny right. ache. <laughs> um, and so yep. let's, let's. Yeah. You had too many beans too fast. Yeah. <laughs> Let, exactly. Um, let's go a little bit more into this whole somatic healing piece because, um, when I was a few years back, I was in therapy and I've, we were kind of like reaching the end of the road. I'm like, I can talk mm. and think and logic and reason. Like I can tell you why I'm this way. You know, I have all these issues and I can sure. trace them back to exactly when they started. Like I get it logically. I get it. And she was like, I think you need somatic release. Like, I think this is stuff in your body mm -hmm that needs to come out and you can't think your way through that. And so, nope. um, I think that's why I resonate so much with things like EMDR and breath work is because it's like, sometimes this stuff get, just gets trapped in your body and, and yeah. it needs a way to come out. And we're not really like given the tools for that growing up. Most of us. Let's stop here for a second and we'll pick right back up because I want to answer one of the top questions I get in my business, which is what probiotic do I recommend? Now, obviously this is going to depend on the individual and what you got going on in your gut, but for a daily staple probiotic, I'm a big fan of BioCult. I've actually been using them for uh, since Hattie was a baby. So over six years ago, um, I first learned about this company. Their favorite product of mine is their boosted probiotic because it's four times the potency of their original formula. Boosted is cost-effective, it's shelf-stable, and it contains strains of lactobacilli and bifidobacteria, which are the friendly bacteria in our guts that are often really low in the people that I'm doing functional GI testing on and stool testing on. Those bifidobacteria especially, they make up 90% of the beneficial flora in our colon. So when we hear all about the microbiome and the benefits of the microbiome, a lot of what we're hearing about are those bifidobacteria. So whenever I'm looking for a probiotic or recommending a probiotic, I'm always looking to make sure that they do have different strains of bifido and BioCults Boosted absolutely does. They're non-GMO, they're gluten-free, and their stability and potency are guaranteed 
through external lab testing. So somebody else came in and they said, yep, what they're saying is in this is actually in this. Um, and if, if you can't swallow pills or you've got kiddo who can't swallow pills, you can break the capsules apart and sprinkle the contents into food or drink like oatmeal, yogurt, or smoothie or something like that. And of course you can just swallow them whole. So head over to biocult.com, use code FUNK20 so you can save 20% and get your gut feeling good. All right, now we're back. Absolutely. In fact, we are stopped from doing the things that help us to release that sympathetic response, which creates uh, a movement potential within us, right? Our bodies want to move because that's how you get out of fight or flight. You run for the hills. And when we're told, sit quietly at your desk, no, please stop dancing. We're trying to eat right now. Like we are, those impulses within us are, are told, are linked as bad in our brains, right? So I think you're right on there. We're all born knowing how to do it and it gets socialized out of us. Um, Oh, sorry, Aaron. I just totally lost the thread. <laughs> Hold on. I want to interject a story anyway, and I'm sure okay, this will this will thread okay, you up quite thank a you, bit. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank um, you. And I've, I, I've, I've mentioned, this happened in November. So I know you do a lot with like inner child healing work, mm. and that never really resonated. I mean, I've known about it for years and years and years, and it just never resonated with me. For me, it felt a little touchy-feely, a little too touchy-feely for me. Um, and it wasn't until this fall that things like really clicked into place because a couple of my mentors, uh, my therapist who does EMDR with me, continues to talk about it. Like, how would you, I have a six and a half year old daughter. How would you handle her or how would you support her if she was going through a hard time? Like it, you're doing the same thing for your own inner child. And, um, we were, uh, apple pickings, like kind of like quintessential new England fall day. The whole family was out. We had both the dogs, we were apple picking and, uh, we were leaving the orchard and she was climbing this tree. It's a, you know, it's an apple tree, super low to the ground. The branches right. are super low to the ground. I mean, the branch she was on, it was probably like as high as my ribs, if that. And she slipped out of it. And we were right there witnessing the whole thing. Didn't even bat an eye because it was like a non-thing. Right. She was so um, like hysterically crying. Um, mm. the, the entire 30-minute ride home, she like really she was just crying out of sorts and this is not the way that she typically responds to things by the time we got home she like couldn't down regulate we were setting up a um, a fire outside she loves to do that had no interest in that and I was like you know what why don't we just get cozy and go lie down in my bed hmm. and she was saying like I don't know what's wrong with me I don't know why I'm like this I don't know what's going on and I was like you know, it all started when you fell out of that tree. And mm. as soon as I said that, she started hyperventilating. She started Aww. sobbing. Her body was moving and she just like deep release. And it went yes. on for maybe 10 minutes or so. And I was like, oh my God. And then after she moved through it, she fell asleep for two hours. Right. And I was like, holy shit. I mean, I talk about this stuff all the time, but I just like, watched it play out in real time for whatever reason her falling out of that tree like really registered as like a little mini trauma to her it was really scary yeah and what do we typically hear like I could have easily just been like it wasn't a big deal you're fine right. we saw you you were totally fine like lock it up get your stuff together you are fine and instead just giving her a little bit of time and space to like 
actually like acknowledge and like move that stuff out of her body so then she could slip into parasympathetic mode fall asleep she woke up like nothing had ever happened she was like good to go totally fine and it was just so eye-opening to me to like see that all play out and it's like we all have that well I shouldn't say we many of us have that ability we weren't taught that ability but we can go back in time and kind of like do that for our inner self as well absolutely yeah so that's such a beautiful story thank you for sharing that and thank you for showing up for her that way that's amazing really um and you know you just saved you both a huge therapy bill (laughs) (laughs) dodge that bullet you know that therapy (laughs) right but um you know I I love talk therapy but it's like literally anything everything has its time its place its season its reason and its limits right and so I love talk therapy because it can be about like creating that stress, distress, and trauma PowerPoint. So I love talk therapy. You know, again, it has, everything has its time, its place, its reason, its season. And talk therapy is amazing for helping us to see, um, to raise awareness about what caused the what, right? And to your point, I felt like there was a point in talk therapy where it was like, okay, here are my stressors, right? And then my mom did this, and then my dad did, <laughs> right? And then yeah. we moved to America. And it's like I could I could paint the story, but nothing was really changing within me. Though awareness in and of itself has healing capacity, right? But we need to take it a step further to make that lasting change. And so while talk, and and the other thing I see is, you know, and this is like, I'm seeing this all over like Instagram, right? Like this sort of framework that we always need to be fixing ourselves, right? Like it implies that there's something wrong with us, broken about us, if for example, bringing ourselves back into ventral vagal is not something that we can do in this moment with ease. If we do not have that skill set, instead of framing it like we need skills, it's like we're broken, right? Oh, you're just dysregulated, right? Like, you know? Um, And so somatic work is the opposite, right? It's about being with. It's never about fixing. It's not about forcing regulation. It's not about changing ourselves. Really, it's about um, doing exactly what your your daughter did, right? You held that loving space. You co-regulated with her so she could allow the perfect mammal of her body to bring itself back to where it needs to be. So it's about trusting that internal wisdom and resourcing our adult minds, reparenting our inner children so that we can all go to there together, but trusting that you don't need to do anything other than let your body move and rest and be and move through it. And that too is a skill, right? Like you said, one we're not taught and that is actually actively like taught out of us. Where does breath work fit into all of this? Because I know that's a big part of what you do. I love breath work. Uh, We do it every month in my six-month program, and we did it last night, and it was just uh, so beautiful. So I love breath work as a way to connect in with ourselves deeper. So the breath work I teach uh, is based in pranayama, not the culture of my people. I do it from a place of appreciation, not appropriation. And it is a three-part breath that 
is really transformational because it allows us to go into this sort of other state of consciousness in which our ego is less online um, and we are able to connect in with truths that are hard to see when we are so busy identifying as ourselves, if that makes sense, right? And identifying with our emotions, with our feelings, with our stories, and instead can go into this deep, other, almost trance-like state of rest in which we can just allow the feelings to come in and flow out, come in and flow out without identifying, without being like, I am angry in this situation. Just experience it and let it, again, do what your daughter so beautifully modeled for us, which is allow the feelings to have the full arc of their experience without attaching to our, our sense of who we are. I think so many folks are afraid of feeling, and I, I can relate to this myself, like sadness, for example, or sure. even anger. I'm like, it's going, it's, it's so deep and it's so vast and it's so wide that it's going to be my undoing. It's if I let myself feel this way, it's going to be the thing that makes me come undone. And that is, never true. You know, like when I actually, actually just go for it, I can move through it pretty quickly, like surprisingly quickly if I actually allow myself to feel what I'm feeling. And when I come out on the other side, it's, there's a lot less of a charge. Right. And I think the, where to put a little caveat on this is folks who are carrying a lot of trauma and traumatic stress in their body. Mm -hmm. Um, it actually can be very dysregulating and, and uh, unsettling and can have a lot of repercussions to to do this work of de-armoring the body, of coming back into ourselves, of allowing the big feelings too quickly. Um, so that's something, you know, in my program, we, we talk about that. We don't just dive into the, into the <laughs> thought work. And, you know, for folks who uh, have a, a, a history of trauma, uh, that is particularly when it's very close to the surface, I invite them to to sit and observe the first thought work or the first breath work versus diving into it um, because this work really needs to be titrated, right? We can't just expect our bodies to go through these um, cathartic experiences and to be able to integrate them, right? Because the breath work is a beautiful practice, but it's really the integration thereof, right? It's not just learning this, these big, beautiful things about yourself. It's putting them into action and applying them to your life and um, making them real. That's where, where the, sort of the rubber meets the road, right? It's not just having the experience. So um, I do recommend people go slowly. Um, again, if there's a lot of traumatic stress stored in your body, working with a trauma therapist, like you mentioned EMDR, which is a beautiful trauma release therapy, trauma uh, rewriting therapy is a beautiful thing to do. So exactly to that point, um, I started EMDR um, this year because I was like, I'm ready. Like, I'm like, mm. like let's dive in. Let's fuck it up. I yeah. am ready. So on the calendar, we had weekly two-hour EMDR sessions. And oh, not snap. even talk therapy, like right into EMDR. And she's like, this is a little aggressive. I'm like, I'm a little <laughs> aggressive. Let's go. Yeah. And the She doesn't know New Hampshire, does she? <laughs> Like, let's go. Let's go. And after the first session, like we were an hour in and my body was like, and I'm done. Yep. I'm done. And yep. I was like, 
Whoa. Whoa. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So now we meet, tw- you know, once to twice a week for like, or I mean, once to twice a month for like an hour at a time because my, like my, I was physically not ready to like go into trauma and like touch it and root around for that much. Like, like you said, it, we really did have to like titrate up, even though I was like my mentally, I was ready. I'm like, I'm ready for this. It was like, you're not ready as you're not as ready as you think you are. Like you have to like slowly build up because it's just basically disarming you. I've spent my entire life, 36 years building up armor and it's like stripping away the armor. Like I can't let it go overnight. I can't, I can't do that. Oh yeah. And it's why, you know, I'd say a solid half of the women in my six month program, part of our first call is them being like, I can't meditate. Is that weird? Like, I can't do it. And I'm like, no, babe, please. The number of times a week, Erin, that I beg women to please not meditate. Please do not do that. (laughs) Like, please do not try to sit quietly, particularly if you grew up with the stress and chaos of codependent perfectionist and people-pleasing thoughts being the entire system you grew up in armoring yourself emotionally, physically, spiritually, that made a lot of sense. And so trying to push your nervous system to like sit quietly and be zen and still is a terrible idea because science, right? (laughs) So like a walking meditation where your focus is on left foot, right foot, left foot, right? Where you're task-oriented mindfulness, sure, go for it. Let's do that together, right? And it, it, it is one of the things we do together in my program is give the mind um, either fine motor skills tasks, um, throwing a ball on the wall, right? Other, uh, you got to give the mind something to do, but asking a mind that, like you said, is armored against the world, to just hush now? It, no, thank you. It can be a little, little, little bit of a scary place. Scary, and I think is is antithetical to the work of healing because it can be really, <laughs> you know, I, I'm right. I'm really careful with the word trauma because I think it is thrown around way too much. Sure. Right? People are talking about stress and distress, which are the sort of two levels of. Uh, experience before we get to calling something trauma, which is when our nervous system is actually outside of its own capacity to manage this moment. Like trauma is a very serious word. And for folks who have a lot of trauma experience in their body, that traumatic stress in their body, whether it's like acute trauma, I don't see that as much. I see like the chronic trauma of our socialization, being a black person in this world, being a queer person in this world, right? Being any person of color in this world, a woman in this world, or growing up in a super chaotic household. You can't just let that out all at once. I mean, it's a Pandora's box, right? Mm -hmm. It will flood you. Let's talk about codependency. You had mentioned (sighs) it just a little bit before, and I I have a lot of... I'm, I'm curious about it. Mm. It's not something that I'm super well-versed in, but I know it's it's one of your jump-offs. So why? Why is that the case? Like, why do you love it so much? Why do you want to talk about it? Why is it a big deal? <laughs> that is like, I've never had it asked that way. And it's like, the, I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> why am I obsessed with it? <laughs> well, Erin, 
because I was a codependent hot mess. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. Which I say with like 100% self-love, right? Um, at this point in my life. Um, but I'm obs- like, I love talking about codependency because it keeps us as humans, but particularly human socializes women back in so many ways, right? So many of us have no idea that we are living into codependent habits um, and that we are not interdependent in our relationships. So in interdependence, partners trust and believe and know that each of them can meet their own needs, right? That they are autonomous, whole human beings who show up for themselves, trust themselves, have their own back, and then show up to the relationship for care, co-regulation, support, mutual love, mutual aid, mutuality in short, without asking the other person to complete them in any way. So when we're in codependency, we are abandoning our personal responsibility for all of our own needs because we are focused on taking care of others. And when that other person says, hold up, I don't, I don't need you to manage my life or my emotions, then we resent them for not allowing us to source our self-worth from them. So whether we're talking about codependency, perfectionism, or people-pleasing, they all sort of boil down to where are you getting your self-worth from? Are you validating yourself? Are you like, I'm so dope and I love dating this person because they are also dope and together we are so rad? Or is it the framework of, I like this person because they told me that I was really smart and like um, pretty and stuff and like they make me feel so good. <sighs> Right. And I would assume that codependency doesn't just apply to romantic relationships. Like it could be friendships or, um, you work. know, family members. Oh, work. Yeah. Work, family members. Oh my God. I used to do this. <laughs> I used to do this thing. I can remember so clearly the day I stepped into being my own watcher on this. I always loved on the street in New York. Um, like this is like a decade ago when I could step in to solve a problem for a stranger who hadn't asked me to, <laughs> right? A la, uh, excuse me? Yeah, you dropped something. And then she turns pre-mask, right? And would like smile and be like, oh, thanks. And I could feel good about myself. Or, oh, excuse me, sorry, your backpack's open? Just wanted to let you know, backpack's open. And I remember I would feel so good about myself. And it's like, okay, why are you wasting airtime with this tiny example? But it's so, it's so like the seed of the whole thing, right? If I didn't feel good about myself, I could attempt to emotionally manipulate a stranger by inserting myself into their life to get a moment of validation from them. What? Erin, yeah. <laughs> what? Come on, kitten. Like, whoa. So yes, strangers at work. Oh, did you like, did you like the PowerPoint I made? Um, yeah, so I kind of like, I, you know, I stayed up all night doing that spreadsheet. I like didn't actually even like eat or sleep or mow the lawn. I just did that spreadsheet all night long. Um, do you like it? Not, is this the work product that you asked for? End of story, right? It's, it's asking for validation of self 
And so, yes, and then we do it with our families, right? With the people we love. Um, I always think of um, one of my best friend's moms who like I went to their house for holidays for years and she was like frazzled, unwashed, <laughs> like had been up since 4 a.m. Like, I don't know, making the chestnut stuffing, but also the sausage stuffing, but also like, you know, and like 12 mm-hmm. kinds of gravy and like everything was about this show of her being this martyr, this savior, this saint that like, yes. right? Yes. Uh, who was herself unhappy and like uh, bedraggled. And the whole theme, the story was, I'm, you know, if you all are happy, then I can be happy. And it was like, um, Mrs. So-and-so, please just, just sit the F down. Like, just sit your ass down, go take a shower. Like, I'm happy if we like nuke some Amy's. Like, I just want to be together. Like, chill on like the china and the crystal and the perfect and the four kinds of seltzer. You know, like no one's asking you to do this. And it creates this environment because I certainly have many, um, you know, many matriarch energies throughout my, um, you know, my, my family and my in-laws that reflect a lot of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I actually don't want to hold space for that either. Like, I didn't ask you for this. Like, oh my God, right. Like, I don't want to cut it out for your martyr energy. I didn't ask you to do this. So like take it back, you know? Right? Yeah, I was talking with someone I love, 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 love. Someone I've known since college, so like 20 years. The other day on the phone and she was like, she said something she had done and, and she was like, oh my God, I'm horrible, right? Like I'm the worst, right? And I was like, yo, do not put that on me to save you from yourself. Like you are asking me to rescue you from your own mistreatment and that is so unfair for you to pin that on me girl like breath take a breath like look at what you're doing to yourself and how you're trying to rope me in it's it's not loving and let me just say this clearly she didn't know she was doing that she didn't realize she was being manipulative right and I when I use the word manipulative it's never with any judgment it's just simply a statement of fact that was manipulative she didn't realize she was doing it and I didn't need her to be ashamed, of course, when I told her, but that shame too is an emotional cover-up for feeling imperfect and thus not worthy of love. Well, I mean, I see it's played out so much in in food, you know, in, in, mm. in nutrition and in the groups that I run. It's like, you know, the questions that, that people will ask or the, the, what they'll share. And I'm like, oh, did you think I was going to help you self-flagellate? That's not what this is about. Mm. Nope. We are gonna, yeah. We're going to try to rewrite this story. I'm not going to like feed into the program that, that you've received that tells you you're horrible, bad, not to be trusted. Like that, that's, we're going to rewrite that story. Like I'm not no. going to hold your hand through that. I know it's going to be really uncomfortable. I know I'm not telling you exactly what you want to hear. I know this is a little bit of like the tougher love and also... Like this is it, this is the work. Should you choose to accept it? Uh huh. Yeah, absolutely. And then to bring us back to somatics, right? So I turned to my friend after she's made this comment. Oh, I'm so horrible. We had this conversation, and then I invited her, and this was with consent, to go into her body and to see where that lived, right? So where does that statement? 
Ugh, I'm just like so terrible. I'm the worst. Where does it live within your tenderness, within your physiology? Where in the mammal is that desire to throw yourself down the well, like you said, so someone else can come rescue you, right? And so we were able in that moment to see that it lived in her chest. It was this heavy blue blob that was sort of wrinkling and hot and, and starting to spread throughout up into her heart. And we were able to get into conversation with it, which is something I do in my programs is inviting people into these conversations with these parts of self, with these energies within us, with these things that live, these uh, emotions that live within our tissues. And we were able to talk to it and ask it what it wanted. And it wanted her attention and love, right? It just wanted a, a ritual of self-love, of showing up for self, and was coming out in this way that was really painful to self. But we couldn't have known that without getting into a loving, honest conversation with the issue in the tissues. That is so incredible. And I would love to hear a little bit more about your, the, the six month program. Is that kind of your, your big, your big yeah, one? Yeah, that's my thing. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that for everybody that has heard this conversation is like, I would like to do a little bit more of this type of work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my six month program is currently called overcoming codependency. And I say currently cause it's time for a new name, but, um, it is six months of a deep dive into learning about the sneaky little habits that are codependent, perfectionist, and people-pleasing thought habits. And I keep saying codependent thought habits because I don't believe that any of us are codependent. I believe it's a set of learned skills and habits and behaviors. And just as we learned it, we can unlearn it, right? So not a label I love, right? I don't think our, our characters are deficient in any way. In fact, I think we're brilliant for coming up with these survival strategies. So that was my soapbox moment. Um, so it, the course is a group course because I believe profoundly in the power of community and the collective um, from a political place, from an energetic place, but also science, right? So studies show that lasting behavior change happens when our motor neuron, our mirror neurons rather, are activated, meaning we see ourselves healing and see other people healing and allow ourselves to be seen, to be vulnerable, to be open and experience others doing the same and have that group connection. Everything I do is because nerd, so yeah. of course. <laughs> well, I will, I will echo that because um, the, the very first, I've been running group programs for a long time, but yeah. I took, the first time I took like my functional work into a group program is because I'm like, okay, there's only one of me. So I have right. to figure out a way to like make this work more accessible. But I, and I didn't realize the power of community and healing. Once I observed that, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is like a thing in and of itself. Yeah. It's super duper powerful. So yeah. So we meet in this group and we meet every single week for six months for live coaching, which is absolutely incredible again, because of witnessing and being witnessed. Um, and then what's really powerful is one of the cardinal, I don't want to say rules, but, uh, agreements in the program is that I am the only coach coaching. Uh, because codependent, codependent <laughs> thinkers love to be like, you know what you should do? 
Oh, you know, it would be great for you. Have you tried this? No, 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 my angels. No, no, no. We are not here to fix one another, right? We're here to witness, which is so hard. I know. That's why it's rule number one. Um, we have a Slack channel, which is so much fun. So folks can get coaching from me every weekday for six months. And it's also really fun. Like we have a shared playlist. We do breath work all together. We share memes and tell stories from our lives and just really, really connect. And so I teach folks the thought work protocol, the cognitive behavioral tool that I use. And I use it really based in somatics, because as we've been talking about this last hour, just changing your thoughts is great. It is really, really helpful until it's not enough, Mm. right? And Mm -hmm. so there are lots and lots, there's lots of studies that show that CBT is really helpful, but has its limitations. And as a nerd's nerd, I was like, ooh, limitations. Let me learn how to circumvent that. So... (laughs) So that's why I studied um, things like sensory motor psychotherapy theory uh, to be able to bring somatics in so that when shifting the thought is not the work that's needed, folks have a way to get into that conversation with their body and with their inner children so they can manage their inner, their internal ecosystem in a really different way by befriending it, attending to it, being with it, not trying to change it. And just to tie all of this up with a little yeah. bit of a bow, um, Love a bow. It, it is this type of work that like has really moved the needle for me for my physical yes. health struggles. Yes. Obviously mental health. I mean, that sure, kind of sure. goes without saying, but the physical stuff that I was, that I was, I, I couldn't get beyond. This is the work that got right. me beyond. Right. Likewise. I mean, that's why I do it. Right. So I was a primary care and functional medicine provider for a decade. And I thought I was helping others the way I thought I had helped myself. Right. So when I killed my blastocystis hominis, I felt much better. And then I got SIBO. Wow. Mm -hmm. Then I became aware of the SIBO. Right. Um, And the SIBO, the small intestine bacterial overgrowth, was because, again, the migrating motor complex in my small intestine wasn't moving um, food that had gone through my stomach and gone into the small intestine. It wasn't moving it out quickly enough, right? And so my motility was slow, and it makes sense. You leave a pile of compost on the counter, (laughs) it will rot, and it will off-gas, to put it politely. (laughs) Uh, It was a fart machine, to put it not politely. And... Oh my God, I would wake up and have a sip of water and look about 2,000 months pregnant. It was, the SIBO is such a schmuck. Um, But like all the biocidin in the world couldn't get rid. (laughs) Girl, I think if you like tested my blood type, it was biocidin. Like that was just, my blood came out purple and smelling of lavender. Oh my God, this is so good. Come on. Yes. And like zero disc to biocidin, that shit's magic. And like everything else, it has its limitations, which is the migrating motor complex is directed by the vagus nerve, right? Which is that two-way information superhighway that is listening to your thoughts, listening to your mindset, listening to your perception of the world and your stories about yourself, And so if we are not thinking about mindset when we're talking about SIBO, we are missing the boat. 
And if we're not talking about somatics and stress and trauma, right? That stress and trauma F with your diaphragm, right? Create tightening within there. So if your diaphragm is tight and armored, both for, for stability, right? We need that, but like uh, it needs to have flexibility, right? If there is so much tension in there from a lifetime of walking on eggshells, worrying about everything we say, worrying that we're not perfect, not knowing our worth and value, there is no movement. And so of course the stomach and the small intestine are constricted because this science. <laughs> and so of course it's difficult for the body to clear, right? For things to move through us the way we need them to. It all makes sense. <laughs> it all makes sense. And this is, you just struck a really big chord with, um, with, with, you just hit on a nerve that's like, I think it's a big nerve for me because mm. I think because functional medicine is so popular, there's just, you know, a lot of people just sort of like grabbing onto that term functional. I'm going to do this functional right. medicine, gut healing protocol, kill, right. kill, kill, murder, Ugh. murder, murder. And I'm like, cool. No. And then what do you do when that doesn't work? Right. And then what do you do when the SIBO comes back? There's, there's so much more that needs to be unpacked. And so I just uh -huh. love that you brought that all, you drove, drove that all home. Um, we're coming up on an hour. I'm <gasps> sure we could keep talking for another hour, but another hundred, uh, let's close it out okay. and just let everybody know where they can find you, where they can find more of you, how to connect all the good stuff. Yeah, so I'm on the gram at Victoria Albino Wellness. I share a lot there. Um, so go ahead and click on over. Um, I have a set of free guided meditations, but remember, those don't work for everyone. So grounding and orienting practices, which are nervous system practices and exercises, those are all for free over on my website, which is victoriaalbina.com, right on the home link, homepage, right under the picture of me. Put your name and email in there and we'll zip those right on over to you. Um, my podcast is called Feminist Wellness and it's free and available in like literally all the places every Thursday morning. Uh, so check that out. And then my six-month program, you can find out more victoriaalbina.com slash masterclass. And of course, all those links will be available in the show notes. So thank you so much. This was a phenomenal conversation. I knew it was going to be. And I think it's really uh, important that folks listen to some of this this right now. Yeah. <laughs> right now. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. We really appreciate you coming on to the show. So thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. You are awesome. And this was a delight. Even though you're from New Hampshire, not Rhode Island. <laughs> we won't hold it against you too much. It's still New England. So Okay, good. fine. <laughs> Go get you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.